right. It is the second Sunday of September. You know what that means? Yeah. Third Sunday next week already. So we know what's on Cass's mind. Lunch. <laughs> not it's not yeah so we'll have a fellowship meal and a bonus session next week so keep that in mind and uh, be ready to stick around and enjoy a meal together and a little extra learning and uh, also uh, don't forget we have uh, an SDR retreat coming up spiritual dimensions retreat coming up at the end of October at uh, Sequoia State Park so you can reserve a room at the lodge or at a cabin or, you know, if you really want to, at a camp campsite, um, your choice. So, and let Randy know you're coming. And uh, <clears throat> if you all would uh, be praying for the technology to work this morning, we're having some issues. So for those who try to watch from home, uh, it's a nice little ministry to have that available and sometimes we have some issues, so we're going to add that to our prayers this morning. Well, let's read Philippians three thirteen and 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's do that. Father, I pray that you would... Help us keep our eyes heavenward this morning in all of our lives and uh, help us to keep our eyes on that prize that you've told us of what is important, of what is ahead, and uh, not look behind us. And, and uh, Father, I pray for that this morning. I pray for our hearts to be tuned to you this morning, and uh, there's a lot that happened this week that is going to happen in the coming week and a lot that's on our minds and I just pray that we would lay all that aside and be here with you this morning be here with the other saints that you've put us with and I just pray uh, that we would hear the things you have for us that we would say the things you want us to say and that your spirit will be working among all the people here in this room. I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.
Oh, I'm glad you guys are here. We got more. This is part three. Walking your purpose. So we're we're looking in the series at walking with God in the world. What what does that mean, and how do we do that? And then this part that we're has grown is about the purpose. So why are we here? Why are you here? Why are you on the planet? Why do you exist at all? And how does that fit into what God is doing in, in the big picture? So let me take you back to Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11, those chapters are going to be setting the stage. So God has created, and when he does that, he sets up space and time because before that, there's none, and later uh, we have a whole different thing that's going to go happen with the new heaven, new earth. But here's this new realm that he has brought into being. Heaven has been out there. He's existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They have interacted. They, they have a complete fellowship and enjoy each other, so there's no need but he wants something different. He wants more. He wants more, uh, more beings and, and beings like him and, and beings like the heavenly host because he's going. The, the heavens are filled with other beings, other creatures. You get hints of it when you read through Scripture. But he decided this material one that we know, the physical one, this experience, which is different from that one, was going to be unique, and he's going to be creative in the ways that he is creative, and he put this thing together. New Earth puts people on it. It's filled with these creatures and all this gorgeous uh, vegetation. Things are happening, and it's, and it's a great setup. Rebellion happens in the heavenlies, and divine being, turns out divine beings eventually rebel against God. They want credit they want honor they want attention they want to be the center of all of that which seems to be a human thing as well and take the credit away from god be the one who's in gets the applause the one who is uh having somebody look to them as the answer so god's got to deal with that as a result of that the human beings get adam and eve get wrapped up in it they now are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They, they're on earth to still accomplish the things God had set in motion. And they have to go to work, working on this. Children come along. Some of them decide they're going to listen to God. Others say, no, thanks. We're going to go a different direction, which leads to eventually, and, and some beings in the heavens uh, also rebel, and that leads to a great flood. And you can get all of that by the time you get to chapter 6. Uh, the first rebellions in chapter 3 of Genesis, chapter 6, the second. Then we're getting down to uh, after the flood, Noah and his family, the population starting to grow again, and the people have an opportunity to listen to God this time. And you'd think they'd get it. They don't. And so they uh, rebel again. They think, well, let's build a big tower. It'll be our, our way to get to God, to control God, to manipulate him, to get him to do what we want to do. He will meet us uh, on our terms. And he's going, that's not how this works. 
So he divides them. He, he divides their languages, he, and they take off in different directions. And he divides them according to the sons of God. So he has some in this council. Picture a big giant uh, conference room, and there are 70 of them. We get some list in, in Genesis chapter 10. It gives us a table of nations. And so they are now assigned to take care of those people. And to point them to God, to point them back to the right way, to accomplish the purpose that God had intended. They get loose out there and they decide, we will do this on our own. We want attention. We want the worship. We want the honor. And we're not going to have the people follow Yahweh. We're not going to go his way. We are going to have them uh, follow us. And then we have the gods uh, small g gods you get all of that and then uh, there's some demonic things that are happening in the midst of all of that that's just lays the groundwork so chapters 1 through 11 of genesis tell us here's here are the issues we're dealing with now we've got to live our lives on earth and the all the subsequent generations of human beings have been here to to help in the process of pointing people to God, to, to be followers and to point others in his direction, to live in the light. We have an opportunity to do that. Everybody around the world, and some have chosen to do it, others have chosen to reject God and whatever he had in mind and gone their own way. So what is our purpose? How do we walk with God in the world? Where do we fit into this thing? And how do we know what our purpose is? Because often when we're talking about purpose and it comes down to career or something that will draw attention to me and, and I'm here for this special thing and I invented this great vaccine or I've some, some kind of big historic moment, that's, um, that's not what God's thinking. He's dealing with this stuff from Genesis 1 through 11. He wants to turn that around. Why? Because God so loved the world. He loves people. And he wants people to be in his family. He wants to turn things in such a direction that people can enjoy life to the fullest. And he, to Israel, in Jeremiah 29, 11, we get the idea, well, he had a plan for them. And he's telling them they're, they're, they've been hauled away because they rebelled against the Lord. And so he has them hauled away to Babylon and then Jeremiah, is, the prophet, is telling them, you know, uh, the Lord says he's got a plan for you, a good one. N not one that's evil, one that is good. It will benefit you. And people will put Genesis or Jeremiah 29, 11 all over the place, on the refrigerators, on the front of their notebooks, without including 12 and 13, which in, when you get to that part, it says, if you seek me. If you pray in that day, if you give all you got to me, yeah, I got a plan for you. People like the idea of there's just a plan for me. I don't have to do squat. And if you expect me to do squat, I'm going to go with the other God, any other God that won't require me to have to work that hard. Ever been there? Yeah, he's calling us to a greater purpose. But the purpose is to fulfill something that is cosmic. 
It's bigger than us. It's bigger than this world. It's bigger than the times we live in. And he's calling us to participate in this thing, to turn it around for the good, not only our good, but the good of our families, those who, who will follow after us, the generations, the people around us in this world. We have a great purpose. And we get to find out a little bit more about that today. So these are unique appointments. I'm going to go through a number of them on how God called some people. And and it's in the scripture, so we have a record of this. And what I want you to know about the scripture is the scripture is providing information for us that we can learn from. It's directly in terms of statements. By example, with metaphor, he's going to provide for us a way of understanding what he is trying to accomplish as he turns things around. And um, from Genesis 1 through 11, he's, going, he's heading in another direction to reverse the things that happened there. We know it will happen because Revelation tells us it will happen. But we're in the middle. We're not in Genesis and we're not in Revelation. We're in the middle and we have a place, and we have a purpose, and we are participating in what God has called us to do. The scripture will give us examples, and it will tell us, here's how God has worked. This is what God is doing in a particular time, in a particular people, to accomplish his purpose, to turn this thing around, to go in a different direction. And we can learn from that. We can be inspired by that. And these are unique ones. Uh, this isn't the way he calls everybody, but it gives us an idea of what can happen, how how these things can uh, occur, and then why he's doing these things and what is being countered. And I want you to hear some of these because there there's a lot of mistaken ideas on how God does this that are just floating around in churches and Christian circles and Christian writings and movies and it's everywhere. Just stop it. Okay. We're going to start with, so we have Genesis 1 through 11. At the end of 11, this is after God has scattered people, and, he's, and he is, we get this all over the scripture in different places, but he is going to zoom in on a particular people, and he has to create them. And this nation is going to be the people that he's going to work through to uh, bring light into the world, and he's going to use them as an example, set them up as a way that he works and that other people could see this, his, his particular people as opposed to the gods, small g gods over the other nations. So this unique nation. Well, we know it is Israel, but it doesn't exist yet. So we're at Genesis 1 through 11. That's when all the problems happened. When is God going to explain or give us a hint as to what he's going to do about that. Genesis 12, 1. Doesn't that make sense? We meet Abraham. God calls Abraham, Abram at that point, because his name hasn't changed, but he's calling him, and he says, come. At the very end of chapter, uh, chapter 11, he gives a little hint as to the family and where they are and all that, but 12 is when he calls him, and he, and he has him uh, follow him. He says, I'm going to take you to a land... I didn't even tell him, just follow me, I'll take you there. He is uh, God the Almighty, the Most High, has appeared and, and he speaks to Abraham. 
Abraham is 75 years old. 75 years old. So when people start telling me, well, I'm just too old for this, you know where this is going. God called Abraham, the first one out after this whole mess, and he says, we're going to go this direction. And he's got this wife, and he says, I, I, you take Sarah and you, you just follow me. So he does, and he, now he's living in a tent, and we're told that's what they, they lived in tents the rest of their lives. And they are uh, starting out on this journey at 75 years, he's 75 years old. God comes along and then tells them, uh, you're going to have children. Like, just look at the stars in the sky. You're going to have children like that, or the sand by the sea. That many children. He's going, Sarah can't have kids. And we're old. God comes back and talks to him again. Now what? He talks to them, and he is getting up there like 99, 100 years old. She's 90, 89, 90 when this promise comes. Has the child at 90. She laughs at God when the Lord shows up and, and says, you know, this is going to happen. This is So we've got Abraham and Sarah. And uh, her part is in uh, Genesis 18 and 21 uh, where all of that about Isaac shows up. And that's the beginning of the Hebrew nation. So here's a promise to people who are way past the age of having children, way too old to just be moving and just following God wherever he says he wants to take them. Doesn't provide GPS, maps. They just go. They're living in tents, not fancy houses. So they're sort of roughing it. And he is taking care of them. This new nation is going to reveal God, the real true God, to the other nations, to the people of the world. It is through them that the, the Hebrew nation develops and the Israel becomes uh, a thing. We have the nation reflecting God for generation after generation, they didn't do it perfectly, so they'd get into trouble and things would happen and God would correct them. But just over and over again, he's still revealing himself and his promises to them, eventually leading to the Messiah who is born. So we've got this beginning with Abraham and Sarah. He is revealing himself. God is revealing himself in them, through them. Now God has spoken to them, and in the case with Sarah, God shows up with a couple of angels. They sit down and eat. And then he tells Abraham, Sarah's listening at, by, in the tent to what's going on. And she hears this thing about, you're going to have a son. Sarah's going to have this, you know, when we get back here next year, that's, you'll, you'll have the, the boy. She starts laughing. And, and God calls her out. And the whole name Isaac is about the laughter. And so Isaac uh, actually is born. Who does that? How do you get the impossible with old people having babies just as when God says? Because he's accomplishing his purpose. 
There are angels there, so we know that the heavenly beings are observing. So the unseen realm is seeing what is happening here. The rebels know that God is up to something. They have Sodom and Gomorrah under their control not far away. And the angels are uh, sent to go deal with that. So that's following this conversation that happens here. The battle is on. Light and darkness. What's your purpose in life? To have a better garden than somebody else? To have a fancier car? What is your purpose? Have a bigger bank account? To be so so uh, applauded in in your family or in the community that people just they just call out your name and are just you're just our hero what's your purpose god said i have something big for you you are going to take on the unseen realm you are going to take on darkness itself you are going to take on the darkness that exists in human beings and point them to the light how do you do that You listen to him. You go where he sends you. You do it when it is impossible. Well, Lord, I'm tired. Yeah, I bet Abraham was tired. Sarah says, my womb ain't working. It will. It did. And the world has changed because of it. God has not slowed down because we go, well, that's not my purpose. He wants his people to listen to him. Abraham, we are told, was faithful, and he did what God called him to do. He's recorded in Hebrews 11 about being the person that God wanted him to be and that he was living in a tent, he and Sarah, following God around the countryside, knowing that God was building a city. They're looking for a city that God would build. Did they see that? Well, it's not. It's not built here. It's not built in the land of Cana. It is built in the heavenlies. He's looking for that out there. Because it's not all about just what's here. It's about what's out there. And then what's out there impacting what's here. There's so much more to this. But my purpose is just to be comfortable. I I need AC. I need running water and inside toilets. Because... That's my purpose, is to enjoy and be comfortable. I hope I'm making fun of somebody in here, because that's a reality. And God has called us to something so incredibly huge to be a part of. So we have Abraham, we have Sarah, we have Moses. Now Moses is, uh, you know, miraculously delivered from death by his mom putting him in a little boat. He floats down the Nile River, is rescued, and you know he grows up with a princess. So he grows up as a royal in Egypt, and then things happen, and he has to take off. He goes to the desert, and he lives out there, and he is now, and he leaves at 40. He's called by God at 80. What's the deal with these ages? 80. So God gives him a sign. He's out there taking care of sheep. That's not the most impressive high-level job there is. He's taking care of the sheep. And God shows up. 
in the bush that doesn't burn and calls to him. And he goes over to find out what all this is about. And God's communicating. So God has, has revealed himself to him. He's speaking to him. So he's seeing, he's experiencing, he's hearing God, and he's getting specific instructions. And just like Abraham got specific instructions. I want to contrast that with the, well, I felt like God was maybe leaning and, and moving me to, and we come up with the, the urging and the, the, maybe this is what God wants, and then we just make up stuff. I had a dream last night, uh, you know, about a fuzzy little puppy, and so therefore God has called me to save all the dogs in the world. And, and we come up with interpretations of dreams and, and some little event that happens, and we fill in the blanks, and, and we think. And then if he's going to give a specific direction, does he have a hard time and he just needs to give me some, some pressure internally? So, you know, it, I could assign it to a bad pizza. But there's some kind of thing and then I can't sleep at night, so obviously that must be him. Uh, he might use some of that. But he also speaks very clearly. Abraham, he gave really clear instructions. Sarah overhears the very clear instructions. God manifesting in the flesh, having, sitting there having a meal with the other angels who are eating alongside him, and they're all hanging out there with Abraham. Very clear instructions. Not, well, I just had a sense or a feeling, or maybe I will interpret this as I feel. No, he's really clear. And in Scripture, he's been, there's very clear statements of this is the will of God for you. Well, it is for those people, maybe not for me. Well, we've just decided or shown which side we're on. We decided to be part of the rebels, not part of, part of the solution, not part of what God is doing. Aren't we stepped aside from our purpose? Because he said this is what God's will for you, all of us. And we get to be a part of it. So here's I don't speak that well. So God's idea of me being the leader to, de to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt isn't going to work for me. You ever tried that? God may be leading you and you sense it, but then you go, but, you know, I'm old or I'm young. I'm too tall, too short. I'm too something. Or I don't speak right. You know, I could never lead like that. And God is going, what? Okay, Mo, I'll give you, how about your brother Aaron? I'll let him be your spokesman, but you're still going to do it. I mean, here, this is the, this is the job. He could still opt out, but he doesn't. And he says, okay, I'll go. And he does. God speaks to him. He sends him, sends him down, and he has to explain all this stuff to a 
the people in Egypt to the people of Israel. He has to convince them first, which is challenging because they don't think, you know, you're just an idiot who just came in 80 years old, dragging in from the desert, and you're telling us that God told you from a burning bush that you're going to come get us out. Uh Uh-huh. They're really sold on this thing. It takes a little bit. But then the miracles happen, and, and then they see what's happening with Pharaoh. There's, there's, God is showing up in amazing ways. With the miracles, as he's doing this, he is revealing to the people of Egypt, to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, that their gods cannot withstand the Most High. Every miracle, every plague, everything that happens is addressing a particular god or set of gods in the Egyptian pantheon, and he is taking them down one by one by one. Then you get down to the final one, and you go, okay, here's death of the firstborn. That's very selective. You have to know who the firstborn is. How do you do that? They didn't have computers. They couldn't pull it up. How do they know that? God sends an angel. They have that information. Pharaoh is supposed to be the representative of God or God on earth. He is in charge. He's in charge, given this authority by gods who control the underworld and life itself. And guess what happens? He loses. That things start to change. God is uh, directing directing them in in a new way, and he and he takes them out. You know, takes them the Red Sea crossing. Their backs are up against the wall. Pharaoh by then has gotten over the surprise, and now he's mad, and he gets his army together and goes after them. They're pressed. The army's on one side, sea's on the other. God says, "No problem." Opens up the sea, just walk through, and then close the sea in, and again, humiliate Pharaoh and the other gods because now he's taken out the strongest army at that point around. Just they're gone. There is God demonstrating himself in ways that are just incredible. They wander in the desert for 40 years. They show up, uh, Joshua's coming up, but this during his time, they go into the, to the land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They show up in Jericho, and they have spies go out and check around and see, you know, what's happening in the city. How many guards do they have? What, what are we up against here? And they meet Rahab. And Rahab is, finds out, uh, oh, you guys are with the Israelis. Well, wow, we've heard about you. We've heard about what happened and what happened to Pharaoh's army. We heard the story of what you've done to these other nations these other kings these other armies wow so when did that happen that's 40 years before that's a red sea thing out in the middle of the desert that story got around and they're going i kind of don't want to mess with you because this this is something greater than what we would have anticipated Moses hears from God. God calls him. He hears the voice. He sees him. He, and uh, So how many times have you wondered if God has a plan for you? And, and 
in this case, from Moses, remember he's he's struggling to even speak the right words and sheep. What is what's happening with him? So when you hear the idea that when God calls you, it will be something that you are interested in, something that you are very talented in, something that you've always done well, and, and that's going to be in line. That's how you know what God's purpose is for your life. That wasn't exactly Moses, was it? He didn't want to do it. He didn't think he had the gifts for it. He didn't think in any way, shape, or form that he was the guy for this. He was uncomfortable with that position. And yet God said, that's it. This is where I want you to go. When God calls us, it's not because it fits. It may be, but not always going to fit who we are, who we think we are. Our circumstances, who, he's, he's just watching sheep, and now God wants him to go rescue uh, the power slaves of Egypt from the power of the Egyptians. That, just, that sounds like an immense job. Yep, go do that. 80 years old. 80 years old. So obviously we can't do anything, right? What's our purpose? What has God said for you? Gideon. It gets us into the book of Judges, uh, chapter 6. There we pick up uh, Gideon is hiding from the Midianites who have been harassing the people of Israel. He's not wanting to face anybody kind of hiding his food so they don't come and steal and and uh, he, he's trying to have a low profile and an angel shows up and addresses him and calls him mighty warrior to which he's a little shocked since yeah he's hiding so yeah here's Gideon God calls him God speaks to him an angel shows up to him and says I've got a job for you to do and you need to be brave and get out there and take care of it. Gideon, after some miraculous things that, that occur, goes and tears down the image of, of Baal and then the Asherah pole. So they're worshiping other gods. There are people, the people of Israel in this area who are worshiping other gods. His assignment is to tear those things down. So he does. And he is now uh, given more. And, and he's thinking, oh, no. God's, God's piled this other thing on him. Now I want you to go take on the Midianites and, and destroy their army. You're going, I, you know, it's one thing to go in the middle of the night, because that's when he did this. Goes in the middle of the night, tear down the images and Asherah pole and go, okay, you know, I was a great hero. I did it, but I did it in the middle of the night when nobody was out there watching. Now you want me to go take on an army. That's, that's a different thing. How does he do that? How does he find out what he should do? So he's heard from God. He's heard from the angel. He's seen God at work. He's already seen some cool things happen. 
now he has to go take on this army. This is when he comes up with the idea of a fleece. And if you've been around, you've heard this method of, well, I put a fleece before God, some some practical thing that you can see and watch and see it unfold and go, that's, okay, that's, that tells me that God is in this and I should do it or don't do it, whichever direction I need to go. Depending on, on which Christian books you've read or who you've listened to, that particular uh, method of finding God's will is really not favored. And, and it, for many, it said this is an uh, indication of a lack of faith. So remember when I told you the scriptures provides examples, it gives us instruction, it provides metaphor, it gives us some way of knowing how God communicates and what he wants us to do or how we can do certain things. This is one. This is no less an act of faith than anything else. So if you come across that, just say, well, that's nice and move on. Because God will use this too. And, and the way that this worked, he said, well, make the fleece, everything else on the ground is dry, make the fleece wet. The next day, make the fleece dry, everything else is wet. God does that. And the fleece said, yes, Gideon, that was me. And for real, you're going to go take on this army. And he's, okay. Because now he's like... The, that kind of thing just doesn't happen. That's got to be God involved in it. So he, he put out the fleece in order. Now it's God calling him. This isn't just made up so I can go do what I want to do. He didn't want to do this. God called him. He was confirming what God had called him to do. So it's a confirmation, act of confirmation. So that it's a method that you can use. doing military ministry anymore and the lord lays it on my heart while i'm there the first year join the oklahoma national guard in stillwater i go hmm all right so i go down to the oklahoma guard i go to their office i talk to the to the people and they're excited because they like people who have been on active duty coming into the guard and i i thought you were very nice see ya and i don't want to do it i don't want to I don't want to do it again. So I am, I am tr- I'm struggling with this. It goes on for <laughs> months. And I'd go back down and visit them. And then I'd, I'd go, no, I just can't do it. It gets down to the end of the spring semester. And I'm going, all right. I can't even think straight. The burden on me is so heavy. So I, I said, all right, Lord, here, here, let, me, let me just check. Because maybe this is just crazy thinking. I'll take Five, I have five quarters. I'm going to take, I'll, I'll just flip them. If they all come up heads, then I'll know it's you in this thing. So I flipped the five quarters and they came up heads. I think the odds on that are really slim. Could you do that again? So 
I got another five, all heads. That was amazing. But just to make sure, can you do that one more time? So I did it again. And all five came up heads. So, um, just to check that, to get five, the odds of five coins coming up heads is 3.125%, which is pretty low. If you do it with 15 coin tosses, and they come up heads, 0.0030517577%, which the computer said was extremely low. Yeah. <laughs> so at that moment, I went, you know what? I got chills. I mean, my legs almost buckled. I just thought, oh, it was you. <laughs> and so I'll go in the morning. I'll sign up in the morning. No matter what they tell me, what job, no matter what, I'll sign up in the morning. And the burden lifted. Everything cleared. The birds sang. The whole, it was, so I go and signed up, and it, it did turn out being a, a good thing. But I didn't want to do it. And just just having him come along and go, well, yeah. Did I sense that God was angry at me for using a fleece or a coin toss? No. He confirmed something I was just really conflicted about. I wanted to do what he wanted me to do. I just didn't want to do that again. And uh, he used it anyway. And he just... he. he has a way of using things that we see in scripture and we go yeah but that was then it's not now it's them not me and you go no he's still providing examples doesn't have to be exact he's still communicating he still loves us he still wants us to follow in his purpose he wants to direct us in the way that he wants us to go he hasn't abandoned us and he's still communicating so it may take something like that we often have to put the odds uh, when we're doing something like that on, in a way that's not set up to get what I want anyway. So I want to buy the shiny car at the car lot, and the car salesman says, I could have it. And I go, well, I only make this much. Well, let's go in and talk to the sales manager. And the sales manager says, well, I think I can get you a loan. It's at 24%, but yeah, I can get you a loan. And, and you go, okay, God, I need to know. If this is what you want me to do, you'll get this loan through. It's not the same kind of odds, people. It's pretty much 100% that guy's going to make sure you get that loan. So that one's just manipulating somehow the system to get, well, God told me. Yeah. Don't do that one. So David, the prophet Samuel, comes looking for, Sam, uh, for David. David is, is um, part of Jesse's family. He's, one, he's the youngest son. And the prophet Samuel has been called by God in a unique way. You find that in 1 Samuel chapter 3. But at this point, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're dealing with David. And there's been a king. He's already been called, and he blew it. That's King Saul, and, and so now he's going to be replaced. A new king's going to be put in his place, and that's going, we're going to find out it's David, but Saul, or Samuel doesn't know who it is. Nobody knows who it is yet. And we find out in 1 Samuel 16. So he goes to 
Jesse's place in Bethlehem. And Jesse, and he says, Jesse, you know, bring out your sons. We need, you know, I need to see them. They, they come out. He sees Eliab and he goes, oh man, tall, good looking, strong. Yeah, that guy, that guy, that must be him. And the Lord says, no, that's not the guy. That is not the guy. So Samuel's trying to work this thing through. What, this, you told me to come here. This is Bethlehem. There's Jesse. Here's a kid. No, it's because people look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It's not Eliab. It's not any of them. He keeps going through the sons. Finally, he, there's nobody else there, and he says, do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, there's the, the youngest one, David. He's out there with the sheep. Send for him. So here comes David, who's out there taking care of the sheep. The other boys are not taking care of anything, apparently. And God brings in David, who is uh, small in stature, apparently. Smaller. Still a good-looking guy, but just smaller. He's out there faithfully taking care of the sheep. And God's looked at his heart. This guy just sings songs to the Lord. And he's already defended the sheep. By killing a bear and a lion, here's this young guy who is brave, faithful, taking care of the job, not down on his brothers apparently, just taking care of business. And God says, yeah, I saw his heart. And later he says, that's the man uh, after my heart, a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he looks at something else. How do we choose? How do we choose who we're going to be with, who we're going to befriend, who we're going to hang out with. Is it based on the things that God has said is important or culture, appearance, outward things? God says, I've got something more for you. And he looks at our hearts and he's saying, I've got something more for you. Come into this relationship with me, follow me, and let's go see what it is that's in store. And where Saul rebelled against the Lord and lost everything. His, he, he lost the kingdom. He lost his position. His children lost their position. In David's case, he said, no, you'll be a king forever. Not him specifically. But it's in David's line that the Messiah is born. And he is the king of kings. And he will be king forever. God had a purpose for for David. He calls him from taking care of the sheep to take care to be a shepherd for his people and to reveal himself in ways uh, that are still reaching people today. And his from his own life story, but also the things he wrote in the Psalms, and we're still just impacted by by all of that. But he had a heart for God. God calls him. In that case, he calls him through an intermediary. Now, later we, we know that God is speaking to David. There's other uh, impact from different things. In this case, a prophet. So it's a human being who's heard from God, who's speaking to him, and, ca- and then he calls him and anoints him and sets that up. So sometimes it's not God directly. It's God indirectly through someone else, through another agent. And like Gideon, it was through an angel, sometimes an angelic being, sometimes a human being. We get, so we've got a mix. Jeremiah... Jeremiah is called before birth, we're told, 
So in Jeremiah chapter 1, we're told that, he is called, that God calls him before he is born. Then in Jeremiah 1, we also have God speaking to him. We have God touching him. There's interaction with, with God. And so the idea sometimes of God's purpose, God, how God calls us is, well, he saw my personality. He knows my likes and dislikes. He knows my strengths and weaknesses. Jeremiah wasn't even born yet. How much personality did he He hadn't developed anything. How, what had he accomplished? He hadn't been born yet. God called him. Uh, just in case there are those of you who are concerned about the sovereignty of God and lack of free will in this situation, Jeremiah could have opted out at any time and said, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be the prophet guy. So that, that's still... Still on the table. Jeremiah, however, really liked his gig and he loved the Lord. So that's that, I don't think it ever entered his mind, but it was available. But he, he could have said, because even when he's called later and God comes to him and speaks to him and shows up and touches him and all that, Jeremiah's complaint was Jeremiah's complaint, the prophet Jeremiah, I'm just a youth. And what did we talk about before? 75, 80 years old, get called. David's just a youth, taking care of sheep. Now we're Jeremiah, youth. So I can excuse myself from doing what God wants me to do. God has no purpose for me if I'm old or young. Oh, crap. Okay. Age is not an issue. Either way. Trust in God and obedience to Him are what matters. That's huge. So we've got Mary. We'll just jump down to, to Mary. In Mary's case, we're told in Luke 1 that the angel shows up and talks to her and, and uh, says, yeah, you're favored of the Lord. Guess what? You get to have a baby. And then she gives all of her excuses. Well, she's young. She's not married. She hasn't had sex. No problem. Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You'll have a baby. A lot of people would be going, yeah, I'm out. Because the culture's not going to accept this. I don't know. That, you know, might mess up. I might get stretch marks. I, I don't think this is a good plan. And Mary, on the other hand, says, you know what? Yeah, because God looks at the heart. You, you're the one. And she is all in from the get-go. How does that uh, get confirmed? A little bit later, she's hanging out with her cousin Elizabeth, and she's carrying, uh, Mary's carrying Jesus, and Elizabeth is carrying John, who becomes the baptizer, and... When Mary shows up, John leaps, and she goes, whoa. And all of a sudden, out of Elizabeth's mouth is this, oh, favored one. <laughs> this is my Lord. You're carrying my Lord. Where'd you get that info? Because Luke hadn't written anything down yet. The Lord spoke to her. The Lord spoke to John. John, the baby's jumping. This is an exciting time. And God is called his son, 
He's called John. John is before he's born. The mothers, Mary, Elizabeth, the Lord speaking to them and through them. So you can be male or female. God's got a purpose. You can be young or old. God's got a purpose. He's working his way. He's communicating, communicates to everybody. Maybe not specifically these ways, though he may choose to do that. I don't think we're going to have a whole lot more messiahs, so don't worry about that one. But he is, he is directing, and he is directing through natural things that he can move around and also through supernatural things. And he, is, he wants us to know. He wants us to be in tune with him, to, to follow him on this path, just like when he called Abraham. You don't know what's around the next bend. I do. I'm not going to give you a map because you'll look at it and look for a shortcut. I'm just going to give you this command. Come follow me wherever I go. Just follow me. And we have the choice. These people had the choice. They chose to go his way. As opposed to the rest of the world and other nations who, not everybody, but many, said, no, I'm going to go after other gods, go do other things, do it my way. And they missed it. So you, how do you fit into this? Second Timothy 1 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. He saved us and called us to live a holy life. So he saved us from what? From, from the darkness, from a life of despair, from being under control of the evil one, he saved us. This isn't just, oh, you don't have to go to hell when you die. He saved us. He's talking to living people. This letter is written to living people at that time. So how were they saved from hell? They hadn't died yet. This isn't like they're, this is what happens in walking with God in this world. This is walking with God in this world while you're alive. Yes, you Miss out on the whole hell thing. That's probably good. This is about living the life. He saved us from what? And from that mind-numbing blindness that Satan has over the people of this world who cannot conceive of these truths. They can look at the scriptures and come up with the wackiest stuff because they can't read it and understand it. He designed it that way. This is made for people of the light. People of the light can read it and understand it and get direction. And the Holy Spirit wants to give more direction. He saved us, called us to live a holy life. A holy life for most people in, in Christianity is I don't sin. I don't violate the Ten Commandments. I Whatever list my church has. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the unique life of walking with the one true God in the midst of the darkness of this world and being different. That's a holy life. It may have a list, but that list all follows and comes from him. So it's saved from all of that out there, called to live a holy life in this world, living it differently. He did this not because we deserved it, because we probably don't, but because that was his plan. From when? Well, you know, Thursday. 
when you messed up. From before the beginning of time. Wait, time's always been. Don't you know? Science has proven it's always been. Mm, nope. It all started. Along with space. When God said, I want this all to go out. I'm going to create now. And then he started painting before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus, which he has done. Your story matters. Your story matters. Jesus says in the, as he's gone through the Beatitudes and he's given the Sermon on the Mount and then he comes to this line or a couple of lines where he begins to explain who these people are, these people who follow him, the people of God. And he says, you, you are the light of the world. You go, what? Yeah. Save you from the darkness. I'm going to make you a new people, holy people, unique, set aside, set apart for him and God's ways, as opposed to all the rebels who've gone in the other direction. Genesis 1.11. We're correcting all that. We're turning it around. You are the light of the world. So what if you have a bad attitude in your house and you treat the people in your house horribly? That ain't exactly living like the light. What if you go to work and do a terrible job? What if your attitude is bad towards your neighbors? That ain't living much like the light. What he's telling us in the Beatitudes or in the Sermon on the Mount is, I'm calling you to a different kind of life. You are the light of the world. Desperately needed. That's your purpose. That's who you were designed to be. But I need a big crowd. I need, you know, people asking me to sign autographs. No. You know that's coming, right? Just not yet. Just not yet. And what unfolds in this life is an opportunity to live this no matter the circumstances, no matter how impossible, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how much you won't want to do it. He has a purpose for you, a purpose that will shine in this life and in the next. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for believing in us before there was even time that you had a plan. You knew us. You knew our names. You knew where we would be. You knew the purpose that you designed for us. I pray, Lord, that we would seek it, each one of us. Seek you. Seek your purpose to live that holy life, that unique life, that set-apart life that is not like any other, not like the world, not like those living in darkness and those blinded by the devil. This is about living your way, following you, wherever that may be. Lord, I pray that we would embrace you more than we ever have, that we would seek you with all the energy and resources that we can muster. And Lord, we would shine brightly 
and our purpose as the light of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, by the way, there is a part four.
Apostle Paul writing in Philippians, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found. the dead not that i have already obtained this or am already perfect but i press on to make it my own because christ jesus has made me his own amen